Okay, so despite what Paul says, I am an ASU fan, and I am proud of it. <laughs> Got to admit, it was a little bit weird in light of the sermon series that we're doing right now that I found myself yesterday standing in the stands going, Go Devils! <laughs> I leave the game, and I'm like, oh, the devil lost. I... So here's the deal. We're, we're in a series talking about Satan, and, and what we've said real clearly without apology is you get that there is a real enemy, that there is a real destroyer, and he's more than just a logo on the side of a helmet. Uh, he is powerful, he is smart, and he's out to destroy. And we said that one of the most powerful ways, one of the things that he does most often is he comes as an angel of light. He, he comes wrapped in something that looks absolutely logical. It looks good. It, it, and yet, in the midst of that, there is deception. There's, there's this twist on the truth that is intended to get you and I off trajectory. And matter of fact, Scripture says this about Satan. When Satan lies to us, he is speaking his native tongue. Because he has lied from the beginning, and he is the father of lies, John chapter 8. And what you and I are just going to talk a little about today is the incredible power of being deceived and, and how Satan uses that to his advantage, and that, and that we've said this over and over again, it's not the big lie he gets us to buy, it's the little lie that deeply and profoundly affects our lives if we swallow it, if we believe it long term. Example. How many have ever heard this saying? The safest place is in the center of God's will. How many have heard that? Okay, three of us. Good. So this will make sense to everybody. <laughs> For years and years and years within church culture, pastors stood up and said to people, hey, the safest place uh, to ever be is in the center of God's will. And think about this for a moment. Here we're good men, not intending in any way to be deceptive or misleading, but we're stating something that's actually not accurate. It's not true that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Matter of fact, if you just read your Bibles a little bit, all of a sudden you come to one and go, no, 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 no. People who follow Jesus die. People who follow Jesus get thrown in the fire. People who follow Jesus get hung upside down on crosses. No, 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 no. See, following Jesus was never about safe. And so all of a sudden what happens in a believer's life, if he takes the misinformation is all of a sudden, here comes a problem. Here comes somebody actually laughing at them for being a Christian. Here comes an employer who says, hey, look, you're not going to talk about that on the job, and I'm going to fire you. And all of a sudden, they go, whoa, 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 how can this be? Because the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And now, all of a sudden, a believer is angry at God. God, how did you let this happen? I've been nothing but obedient, and now hard time. Because it's not accurate. Well-intended, good people just gave you misinformation, and it's going to derail you if you continue to believe that misinformed statement. Think then, think then how much more powerful it is when Satan on purpose comes to us and says, no, 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 this isn't truth. Let me twist that for you. Let me, with intentionality, inject into the conversation something that is so devious, so clearly misleading, that if I can get you to believe this little, this just skew off of the truth, I'll blow you up. I'll cause you to be deeply and profoundly angry at God. You may never recover 
from the lie. So here's what I'm going to do today. We're just going to unpack some of the most devious, some of the, 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 the lies that Satan has spun within our culture and within our lives that just absolutely derail us as long as we buy them. And chances are, before we get done today, you're going to go, oh my goodness, I believed that one. My entire life, I've struggled over this, and now I know why. Because I bought the twist, and it's left me forever at odds with God and struggling with God and angry at God. And the truth is, it was a twist of the enemy. It was deception brought into my life. So here we go, three of what I think are the most common, the most insidious ones, the ones that just absolutely have constantly been swallowed by believers and non-believers alike and have blown up our lives, the twists. So here we go, twist number one that derails you and I. You ready for this? In order to obey, it needs to make sense. In order to do that thing, I gotta, I gotta understand why that rule was made, and, and I've gotta look at it and go, you know, if I was in charge, I, I would have made that same rule. I, I get it. So I'm willing to obey it because I approved it. It made sense to me. And if you and I were honest this morning, you and I would go, you know what? We are all guilty of selective obedience. We're all guilty of moments in our lives when we looked at, at a rule, we looked at a law, we looked at a scripture, and we said, that's dumb. I, I, God could not have possibly been thinking about me. He couldn't have understand culture in the 21st century. Who made that a law? And since I don't agree with it, since I don't like it, no. No, I choose to selectively disobey. You and I have done this driving our cars. You're going, 35? Are you kidding? What engineer was sitting in a... I bet they didn't even come to the street and take a look first. I bet they didn't... This thing's six lanes... 35? What do you mean my friend can't share the music they've downloaded from iTunes with me? They paid for it. I'm not going to listen to it that often. We're just, you know, I just wanted me to hear it. And so, I mean, you know, copyright. I mean, they, that, this isn't what they intended in that. I mean, really, honestly. Come on. Go to church every Sunday? Are you kidding me? God had no idea the Packers would be on TV. There's no way he considered that. Selective obedience. If it, if it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't add up, if, if, if I wouldn't have made that rule, then no. Because, because, you ready? Because the twist is this. You have to agree with the what. You have to agree with what was said or what was instituted. And if you don't agree, then it doesn't apply. Now, this principle works pretty well until the stakes get bigger. Wait till it's your son, and he's 16, and he suddenly says, I just think the rule about underage drinking is really, really stupid. I mean, there's no way that they considered me when they, I, you realize how responsible I am? You realize how much further ahead I am than the rest of my peers? Dumb rule. And this whole thing about open containers in the car and driving when you're my reflexes are better than all those old men. This works till it's your daughter. 
and you're watching her body waste away. And she says, no, I get, I get it. I get that Scripture says that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that I'm to honor it and I'm to take care of it. But if that's the case, then why did God so shortchange me when it came to looks? And in order for me to make up for his mistake, and, and I need to drastically and severely modify my body. I'll just stop eating. See, it, it, it makes sense that you and I have to agree with what until all of a sudden people that we love and people that we care about suddenly write their own what. Suddenly say, no, 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 I'm smarter than the rule. The rule doesn't apply to me. I don't like it, therefore I get to disobey it. You get the twist. If you don't agree with the what, then the rule doesn't apply. And Scripture would come back and would untwist the moment and say, it has nothing to do with the what. It has, ready, nothing to do with the what. If you haven't figured this out yet, there's going to be hundreds of things in this Scripture, hundreds of moments in which you're going to look and go, are you kidding me? Love my enemy? I wouldn't have made that rule if I, are you kidding me? And if you and I spend our lives picking and choosing which things to obey based on whether or not we would have made the what, we would have made that rule, you'll live an entire life in the animosity and rebellion against God. Scripture would say, it was never the what. It was always the who. It wasn't, do I agree with the rule? It was, who made the rule that I should have considered? And I should have come to a point in my life and said, no, 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 no. I don't think I get it. I don't think I understand it. But if God said it, because see, it's about the who. It's not about the what. Grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. It's going to be pretty easy front of your Bible. Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> we'll start in verse 1. Some of you that are familiar with Scripture know the story. It's, it's the story of Adam and Eve. And what you're going to get is, is that Satan from the very beginning has been spinning this lie. He's been twisting this twist, so to speak. And he does it right off the bat there in the garden. He just goes, look, look dumb rule. Are you kidding me? That's a dumb rule. Why, why would anybody follow that rule? God didn't know, God didn't understand, God didn't, dumb rule. You don't need to obey that, Eve. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Now the serpent, and we all know that the serpent was being empowered and crafted by Satan. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden, the woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, get a great moment. 
Remember we said that when Satan comes to deceive, one of the most powerful things you and I do is quote scripture back, quote back what God truly said. Eve passes the first test. She does great. Satan says, hey, did God really? And she says, yeah, God really. Let me tell you what God said. But watch what Satan does next. He pulls the dumb rule lie out. Here we go. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You get what he just said? He says, look, 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 Eve, God wasn't thinking about your best intentions when he made that rule. When God did this, he didn't consider him. In fact, the truth is God was being a little selfish. This is a self-serving rule on the part of God. Eve, you don't got to follow that rule. If you don't agree with it, then it doesn't apply to you, Eve. Dumb rule. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Try this. Go to a six-year-old child and say to them, should Eve have eaten the fruit? Should she have done it? Was that a good idea? And every six-year-old is going to look at it and go, no, no. That was, that was a horrible, no, shouldn't have done it. Then, at ready, ask the six-year-old this, why not? Why should Eve not have eaten the fruit? Let me tell you what I doubt that any six-year-old is ever going to say. Because it was a good rule. God was really, really smart, and it was a good rule. You know what the six-year-old is going to say? Because God asked her not to. Right answer. And there are some of us in this room, we have swallowed this lie. We have lived a life in twist because here's what we've done. We've said over and over again, no, 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 no. If I don't understand why Scripture says don't commit adultery, if I don't get it why it says forgive those who've hurt, if, I, if that doesn't make sense to me, if I believe my circumstances are different than everybody else's, if I don't think God got it when he wrote it, then no. No. Selective disobedience. And it will change the trajectory of your life. That twist will keep you forever angry at God and on the out. And there's some of us today who need to forget about the what. I don't care if you agree. It's who asked you to do it. Twist number two. The, the, second, the second subtle lie that Satan sells that just derails so many people. Here it is. If, if God is good, I mean, if God's a good God, if, God, if God's all-powerful and all-knowing and if he loves all of us, then why does the world stink so bad? I mean, why do children die? Why are kids born with birth defects or mentally handicapped. Why did my family break up? I mean, couldn't God have prevented? I mean, if God is there and God is loving, then why does this world stink so bad? And why do bad men win and good men fall short? How come I can do the right thing and 
People who do the wrong thing get ahead of me in line. If God is as good as he says he is, then why does the world stink so bad? And you get that millions and millions and millions of people have missed God over that question. That scores and scores and scores of Christians have done a journey with God that got them just a certain distance, and all of a sudden, they lost the job. Uh, All of a sudden, Aunt Edna died, and they're going... That's not, why did, why did Aunt Edna get cancer? I don't get that. She's 50 years old. How is that possible? If God really loves me, then how can the world be so wrong? And truth be told, there are scores of us in this room who've spent a season away from God just going, no, 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 no. If that's how God behaves, if that's what God does, if this is the product of You and I, most of us in this room, know people who cannot get past this question, who this twist has twisted their souls and their lives. And they're stuck. You ready to straighten the twist? Here's the answer. God didn't. He didn't. God didn't make a world where children die. And he didn't create a place where evil men win. And and he didn't didn't create a world where suffering was normal. It's not what God created. It is absolutely the handiwork of Satan. The darkness and blackness and pain of this world is exactly what the enemy has always wanted. And it's his hand you're seeing, not the hand of your God. Matter of fact, the truth be told today, every good thing, every gracious thing, every minute of kindness and grace is a part of God redeeming what was stolen. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. And guys, we told you, you're going to want your Bibles during this series, you're going to want to be sure we're being accurate. Matthew chapter 4. Interesting moment. Some of you are going to be familiar with the passage. Jesus has just gone through the 40 days in the wilderness, and you remember as a part of that, Satan, remember the enemy, comes to tempt and in the process of the temptation, he knows Jesus is hungry, so he says to Jesus, hey, if you're really God, if you're, you know, you've got power, make, make these stones be bread. You can have something to eat. And remember, Jesus refused him with Scripture. No, no, no. Man shall not live by bread. Okay, so you, you know the moment. Second temptation, Satan comes to Jesus and says, you know what, if you're doubting anything about whether or not you really are God or not, if you've just got kind of some humanness going on, then just jump off the tower and... God will rescue you, and then you'll know that you know that you know. And Jesus says, no, no, you're not going to, you can't tempt the Lord your God. You don't ask him to cover up foolish decisions. And then comes the third temptation, interesting temptation. Satan says to Jesus, if you'll bow down to me, if you'll worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. 
So think about the moment. Jesus, there's, you don't have to go to a cross. You don't have to die for these people. You don't have to do this thing the heart. I'll give them to you if you worship me. Every, all these people that you're worried about, all these people that you love, all these people you're trying to redeem, I'll give them to you if you'll simply worship me. Here's the passage, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Again, the devil took him, talking about Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Let me ask you a question. How in the world can Satan make that offer unless he owns them? Isn't that interesting? How in the world can Satan look Jesus in the eye and say, no, 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 no. I will give all the, I will give this to you. If, how can he make that offer unless he owns them? Matter of fact, did you know that Scripture in Ephesians says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air? Do you realize that Scripture clearly says Satan is the one who has authority? He's the one stirring the pot. How did it get there? What, what, what? Grab your Bibles one more time. Go forward with me back to the book of Genesis again because so much of this starts in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Actually, we'll go to chapter 1 this time. Genesis chapter 1. Starting in verse 27. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man, and in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Get the next part. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. So here's the moment. God creates the world. He creates it perfect. It doesn't have pain. It doesn't have unfairness. Bad men don't win. Children aren't born with defect and hurt. And he says to man, here is my, I give it to you. Have dominion over it. I put it in your care. And then Satan comes with his twist, and man literally takes dominion of the earth and hands it off to the enemy. We gave it away. We took what God created in perfection and gave it to the enemy. And every ounce of pain, every bit of darkness, every disease is a direct result of that abdication of responsibility. You and I gave him authority. Adam, speaking on our behalf. Which leaves the answer to simply this. Every bit of darkness, every bit of is the enemy. 
and every bit of light and every bit of goodness and every, every moment of grace in this world is the redemptive work of your heavenly Father trying to buy back what you and I gave away. It's the answer for a cross. It's the answer for when time ends and God sets the whole record straight. How many guys remember Phil Donahue? How many, how many Phil Donahue? That's, there's some old people in this room. That is so cool. I thought, man, no one's going to know. So for some of you youngies that are in the room and you go, who? Phil Donahue was like the Oprah Winfrey at the beginning. Okay, I mean, he, he, he was the, the king of talk shows. He started most of this that we have. And, but it was pretty obvious if you ever watched Phil Donahue, very antagonistic toward God, just had no place for God. And one day he had two Christians on the show, a guy by the name of Bill Bright. And if you don't know, Bill Bright was the founder of a thing called Campus Crusade, which literally swept through the campuses in the United States telling the story of Jesus. And another guy by the name of Josh McDowell, who was an atheist who had studied Scripture and studied history to try to prove Christianity a fraud and ended up becoming a believer by studying to prove Christianity wrong. And both these men are sitting on his show one day, and Phil Donahue tosses this question. He says, okay, okay, you smarties. If God is real, explain to me evil. Explain to me all the disappointment. Explain to me all the darkness. Explain to me all the... Explain to me that. If God is there. And with a smile, here was the reply. Phil, you don't understand. All the pain... All the ache, all the disappointment, and all the unfairness is the absence of God. It's a demonstration and a reflection of all the ways in which we have pushed God out of our lives and said, no thanks. And it's the work of the enemy. Right answer. It untwists the twist. Some of us have spent a lifetime being angry at God. You're angry at the wrong person. Third twist. When I do wrong, it, it's not really sin. It, it's more like a mistake. And you realize that we live in a culture right now that absolutely hates this word. Preachers are hesitant to use it. Well, you just don't ever say that word. I mean, sin. Sin sounds like really religious. Sin, sin sounds condemning. If you say the word sin, then all of a sudden I go, well, it kind of speaks of moral absolute and and maybe, maybe some sense of accountability. I mean, if I did that, if that was sinful, then I'm, you know, does that mean I have to answer for sin? Kind of gives a sense of judgment. And so instead, the enemy comes and says, no, 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 no. Old word, really, really antiquated doesn't apply much anymore. The, the truth is, you're not, a, you're not a sinner. You're a mistaker. Okay, I'm going to line this up for all of you that are really anal retentive and it's going to bother. Now, you know what? I'm just going to do that. I'm going to, yeah. 
You're, you're not, it's, you're a mistaker. And, and, and see that moment, that, that thing you did, that, that moment, not, that, that wasn't sin. I mean, that's so, that, that was a mistake. It was, you ready? An error in judgment. Yeah, that feels better because, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm a mistaker, if that was just, you know, simply a moment not well thought, then, then I, I can work on that. I mean, I can, you know, be a little more attentive and, and I, can, I can correct it the next time. And yeah, I, I think I'm a mistaker. Here's the insidiousness of this. If I'm a mistaker... then I'm not a sinner. And if I don't have sin in my life, then I don't need a Savior because I'll just simply do better the next time. There's really nothing to be repaired. I just need to put a little more effort in. And so we have husbands who say to our wives after they've cheated, no, 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 I, no. it was a mistake. I wasn't thinking, I didn't consider how you'd feel about, I, I know, I know, but can't we just move on? I mean, can't, can't, it's a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. A friend who betrays says, no, I, all right, all right, okay, I shouldn't have, I should have thought more before I betrayed I, I, I should have considered, it, 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 was, it was an accident. I mean, I just, I didn't, I was caught up in the moment. It, it was a mistake, and, and I'll, I'll do better next time. I'll, I'll work on it. May work with your friends. Others who've heard the twist and bought it might buy it. But deep down in your heart, you know it wasn't a mistake. You thought about it. <laughs> you consider it, and, and you did it anyways. It, it didn't sneak up on you. No, you, can, you, you knew when you were doing it was wrong. And truth be told, truth be told, if you could do it again and not get caught, and then, then there's the guilt of it. See, you and I don't have to feel guilty about mistakes, so why does my heart to feel this way? Scripture would call it, you ready? Conviction. How, how, come, how come even though I can get my friends to dismiss it, how come my heart won't dismiss it? Because it wasn't a mistake. It was sin. And Jesus comes into the world, and if you watch the ministry of Jesus, we are so confused. See, I think, I think one of the lies that Satan does that goes right hand in hand with this is he goes, you know, Jesus was all loving, and Jesus, Jesus didn't call anybody out, and, you know, Jesus was just all about, hey, love. You haven't read your Bible. Do you realize the message of Jesus is this? He, he, takes, he takes two things that don't even seem like they belong together, and he puts them together. And on the one side, he says... You're a sinner. You have, matter of fact, Jesus goes and says, the truth is you're worse than you think you are. You're, you're farther away from God than you ever imagined. 
And then he says, and yet God loves you more than you know. See, the message of Jesus was both and, not either or. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. It's, it's what we call the Beatitudes. It's, it's probably one of the deepest and longest teaching moments in Jesus' life, at least that we have recorded. So Matthew chapter 5, watch in this moment as Jesus raises the bar on sin. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And I'm sure everybody in the crowd is going, oh, yeah, I haven't killed anybody recently. That's good, yeah. Doing all right. I, you know, I, I, I may be a mistaker, but I'm not a sinner. And then Jesus says, no, 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 no. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Well, no, no, wait, whoa, wait, whoa, Jesus. No, 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 no. No, if I murder, then it's judgment. And Jesus says, no, 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 the bar is higher than you ever thought. If you are angry, then you've murdered in your heart. And don't you know, in that moment, the crowd's going, are you kidding? Are you, do you realize that's probably 80% of the room? And the only 20 is because their lives have been so good so far. And Jesus says, I know. The bar is higher than you thought, and you're worse off than you ever imagined. He doesn't stop there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it has been said, do not commit adultery. And at that point, about half the room said, I'm okay. The other half was going, mm-hmm. Could you define terms for me right now? What is is? And then Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what? Are you, what? You realize you've just condemned every male who has ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, we're done. Only women are going to heaven now. Thank you very much. Women have been saying that for years. And Jesus, are you ready? Jesus says, no, no, you're right. The bar is higher than you ever imagined, and you are worse off than you ever thought. You get what Jesus, Jesus is clearly in the moment saying, no, 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 no. You're not a mistaker. You're a sinner. Jesus, Jesus is untwisting the twist. That's not bad enough. Verse 43, you have heard that it has been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now all the women are going to hell. <laughs> and you get the message of Jesus. Ready, ready, ready? The bar is higher than you ever imagined. You're in more trouble than you thought. And God sent me to rescue. Because guys, get ready for this. In the ministry of Jesus, who flocked to him? Who ran to be around Jesus? Sinners. 
See, wasn't that the moment that the, the Pharisees were coming and saying, no, are you, he's hanging out with prostitutes. There's tax collectors. I mean, you realize the riffraff of the world are gathering around this man. Well, yeah. You know why? Because Jesus was saying to them, you get it. You get them that you have all fallen short of God. You get that you are desperately in trouble. And sinners were going, duh. And when Jesus spoke his next words, it made sense because he said, and if you're a sinner, then you need a Savior. Untwist. Who hated Jesus? The mistakers. See, you had all the Pharisees and Sadducees go, no, 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 we're not near as bad as them. I mean, you know, okay, so maybe we've kind of missed a few points, and maybe, you know, when we were tithing, we only gave nine, but it, it, nothing big. We're mistakers. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're sinners. And they hated him for that. There are some of us in this room who have spent a lifetime believing we're mistakers. See, if I were to ask you and say, hey, how are you getting to heaven? And I, well, no, I've been a part of church all my life. I've been faithful. I do good things. I pray. I help little old ladies across the street. I, I don't have anything major. And, and the stuff I'm not doing right right now, I'm working on it. So someday I'll get to heaven. I'll be acceptable to God because I'm a mistaker and I'm working on my mistakes. It's a lie. You'll miss God with that answer. You're a sinner. You've done things, you've said things, you've participated in things that have absolutely wounded the heart of God. And it was not a mistake. You knew what you were doing. You do it again. The bar is higher than you ever imagined. And you're in more trouble than you thought. And God sent Jesus to rescue. Sinners, sinners love the Savior. It all comes clearer when the twist is taken out. So here's what I'm just going to ask today. Have you lived with a twist? Have you lived your life fighting, wrestling, arguing with God because Satan has come and said, no, 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 no. Are you, are you kidding me? You, you don't have to obey that rule if you don't agree with that rule. Selective obedience. If God didn't understand you, if God didn't get you, then forget it. Because you and I have experienced a moment of sadness and sorrow in our lives, a moment in which life looked desperately unfair, and we just said, boy, if God's there and he could let my parents divorce... If God's there and I lose my job, are you, I don't need that God. You bought the twist. You're living the lie. And some of us who walked in here today and said, you know, Lynn, I'm actually a pretty good person. I'm, I'm, I make mistakes. I mean, I, I, but overall, I'm working on them. No, 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 no. The standard's higher than you ever thought. You're worse off than you ever imagined. And the truth is you're a sinner who needs a Savior. But let's take the twist away from the enemy. 
Let's bow our heads. I'm just going to ask you where you're sitting <laughs> quietly. Have you bought one of the lies? Have you lived struggling with God because you've lived in the twist? You've lived twisted. Some of us have got friends who need to hear this and need to understand this because they're deeply, deeply deceived. What if today you and I rejected the twist and said, I will live only in truth? Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you in a moment and we just want to declare out loud the enemy, Satan, is a liar. And he's been one from the beginning. And when he speaks lies, he is speaking his native tongue. And the problem is some of us, many of us, probably all of us in this room at some point or another have gotten caught up in the twist. And we're just going to declare out loud, it's not true. It is deception. It has caused us to be angry and frustrated with you. It has caused us in some cases to miss you altogether. And today we simply declare the lie a lie and choose to live in the truth. And if that means greater obedience on our part because we're going to stop arguing with you about Scripture, if it means we're going to stop blaming you for the parts of our lives that are sad and disappointing and hurt and realize that those are the handiwork of the enemy, if it means we're going to stop calling ourselves mistakers and finally once and for all admit I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, we choose truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, our guys are going to close here in just a minute, but I, I want to say to you, there are going to be some in this room who are going to say, well, I needed that. That was me we talked about today. And we're going to have counselors going to be here at the front, and they'll meet with you. And some of us in this room need to go this way and not that way when the service concludes.